Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, Episode 4. My name is Ash Jones. My co-caster, Michael John Simpson, and I started this podcast to give voice to our passions. This week, our guest is comic book artist and graphic designer, Megan O'Keefe. Megan is half of the creative team behind the fanboy comics publication, Identity Thief. We talked to Megan about freelance artistry, the film industry, comic book art, the artistic process, horror films, as above, so below, special effects for aesthetics, Rick Baker, the haunted attraction industry, The Hunger, Star Wars, Key and Peel, Meltdown Comics, Amateur Theater, Paul F. Tompkins, The Killers, Early Punk Rock, Clive Barker, and of course, Doctor Who. So, here we go. This is the episode 4 of the Something Something Experience. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I like hip hop, but I just, I, not that much. Not that much. Cool. Uh, okay, we're starting again. All right, so we're definitely check we're recording here. And uh, what we were saying, Megan, <laughs> outside hockey yeah, in the sun. <laughs> played a little hockey yesterday. It was way too hot, so we ended up at the tiki bar drinking terrible tiki beverages. Oh my! <laughs> yeah. The one out here in Pasadena? No, oh. I will now. I won't mention which one it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bartender a lot, but the drinks are a little rough. Oh yeah, he garnered a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's they're they're. Yeah, they're just sweet. <laughs> Have you been to the one out here? There's a tiki bar out here in Pasadena. I can't remember what it's called, but it's out several exits past where we are now. Um, it's out like in more eastern, like almost Arcadia or whatever, I think. Is that right? I don't go out. I don't leave my apartment. <laughs> you don't leave your apartment. <laughs> unless, unless there's work or a podcast involved, right? Or there's like the end of the world's happening or something. Uh, I do not go outside. I don't like the outsides. So you were, you were, you were asking Megan about uh, <clears throat> music. Oh, yeah, yeah, because you, you mentioned that you were an uh, audio engineer. Yeah, for a while. I, uh, I came out to LA originally in 2006 doing audio engineering. Um, I was already a painter and an artist, um, and I was just trying to, I guess at 19 years old, I was looking for, you know, the stable job to, you know, to, to live off of while I did my art. And audio engineering is definitely not that, definitely not in 2006. Mm. So I quickly figured that out. And uh, yeah, I haven't, haven't done it since. Uh, that's a, but, that always happens, huh? We, we have, I've sacrificed some things too. And I think there's something we wanted to talk about, right? But things, uh, we, things we gave thing, up. Pro- we gave projects up. that we, we didn't finish. Yeah. Things that we like, like I used to be a, a, an art photographer. I used to, or I used to do like uh, erotic art and things like that. And, and I used to do a lot of shows. I used to do a lot of shows around LA, and even got as far as for a while. I was I was framing things in those um, those uh, cardboard those nice um, uh, cardboard boxes with the glass lid that you use for displaying insects. I was displaying my art in that. I would I would put the art on a foam core back, and then put wooden blocks, glue wooden blocks, spray paint everything black, glue wooden blocks inside of the uh, the frame box. Uh, glue the um, foam core to that and then put the lid on so you had this glass framed nice. picture That's but cool, man. I mean I invested a bit in some of those frames but I never I never sold a damn thing <laughs> do, you, do you have some of them still? I still have them they're all out in the garage they're still they're collecting dust but I, I mean I have them I can, I can show them but people have been like Kitty Brown and other people have been like you should be doing photos again and I'm like I got to the point I was having another discussion with another friend of mine this weekend about that that I was doing, I really love taking pictures. I love the act of photography. I love working with models. I love working with people. I like doing the lights and the set design and, and all that stuff and everything. But then when it comes time for actually processing or printing and putting it together, <laughs> if I'm not getting anything back from that, and I'm not looking for rich and famous, whatever, but just enough to 
you know, at least to make it worth the effort of the after part where I got to the point where I'm just like, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on this and I'm not getting a lot personally satisfaction back from it. Yeah, so. definitely. It's well, I, I, <clears throat> Fallon was telling me that uh, one third of the workforce is freelance. Uh, not only freelance, but freelance artwork. So people like to think of artists as bohemian ba- vagabonds or whatever, but they're actually part of the workforce. They're contributing to the economy and people oh, yeah. should... Um, respect them but it, it's really hard especially in this place where you know we live in LA and it's oversaturated I don't know the statistics but so many people come here with dreams of their own trying to make make it in film industry or music or whatever that uh, it's, it's virtually impossible for everyone to have a stable career you know? it's right. tough and uh, I work in advertising and uh, a lot of the people that we work with they're freelance and that's happening more and more um, less people are on staff and more freelancing moving from shop to shop doing other projects um, it's become more of a normal lifestyle for LA. <laughs> well, I, I think that maybe part of that has to do with things like benefits and a lot of, I think that's from the, from the uh, business side rather than from the artist side that they don't want to pay people benefits yep. anymore. So it's a lot easier to pay them a little bit more money yeah. to be a freelance artist, you know, like a contractor fee. Um, and then they don't have to worry about the benefits yep, part of it, which is true. really, that's again, another commentary on the sad state of yeah. that stuff in America. And yeah. it's really, it's really Post sad. 2008, everything. Yeah. That way yeah. they, they can also yeah. fire you. And Kitty Brown was telling me how she got fired one yeah. time, yeah. uh, overnight. So it happens. Yeah. 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 yeah so what, what failed, uh, Ash, what failed projects you worked on? Well, I was, a, I was an, um, aspiring filmmaker and I have a scripts that I've written, um, I came to LA with some of those scripts, some I, I wrote here, uh, but the one thing that really, you know, the last nail on the coffin, so to speak, I was working as an editor uh, for this documentary about Geraldine Page, an, an actress, like an old school actress, and I worked on it for eight months and it was deferred pay, I knew that going in, but it didn't materialize at all. I lost contact with the producer, then he wouldn't respond to my emails, um, everyone else seemed to like, you know, spread, and... Um, I was left there, you know, sort of like, you know, eight months down the drain, nothing happened. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this again because that's a long time. That happens all too often, especially with film work. Um, You know, just even even if all the contracts are are right and, you know, you're supposed to get paid, that does not mean that the film is ever going to actually happen. Um, I used to work in effects. and uh, that would happen constantly to the point where I was just like, I, I stuck to the retail end of like selling prosthetics and, and effects like that rather than working in film because inevitably, even if, you know, all the money was there and everything was moving forward, eventually that last 10% of the project <clears throat> would come along and, you know, they'd get 90% and then everything would kind of fall apart and nobody got paid, nothing came out of it and yeah like eight months of work down the drain <laughs> yeah people don't realize how uh, there's a, a actual workforce in, in the film industry it's not just like a-list actors and whatever and the director and there's actually a workforce what they call below the line and uh, sometimes i hear these stories of like oh brad pitt um they delayed shooting because brad pitt has heard or, or their latest one is harrison ford oh yeah and yeah. I, I feel Wars. sorry for all those people that traveled to london and now they have you know they have to come up with money to pay their bills for however yeah. long it takes for Harrison Ford to heal up or whatever. Yeah. And that's 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 kind of crazy how the, the, the industry works like that. Um, well, I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, and uh, um, that deal with uh, people who are in the business. And 
I hear time and time again from people who make things and people who get things made how hard it is to get something done. How hard it actually is that the chances of, of, of getting a project from, from inception, the idea, through to a finished product is such a long process, is such an almost impossible process that the, that the fact that we, get, we actually get to see finished products and those few finished products is such a small percentage of all the work that goes in and all the money and all that. And that's why a lot of these like lawsuits and things happen in Hollywood because in the, in the industry because somebody started working on that and, they, or in, in a, in a, a studio has invested time and money in, into starting a project and then it falls through and then you know, they want that money back and stuff. And it's crazy. And it's true. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. Megan, you, you, um, you're a comic book artist, and that's, yes. that's one of the things. I mean, we've known each other peripherally through a lots of our friends, like in the goth community and other things like that. But also, the thing that I, one of the, the first artwork that I noticed of yours was the comic stuff, the illustrations and things that you put online. But then also, like you said about your prosthetics, the, the kind of horror, horror effects prosthetics <laughs> for Halloween or for yeah. movie making, things like that. So, um, why don't you um, talk about. How how did you get started in in making comics and then and then also the prosthetics and stuff? Um, well, I always I always painted um, as a teenager. I really got into it, um, but I painted from the time I was a little girl. Um, but it was always just kind of a hobby, uh, something I did often, like all the time, but never took seriously and never you know never really um, did anything with it. I was uh, focused on my special effects business where I was I was making a lot of sales, um, had a pretty popular product, and um, was focusing on that a lot. And that, that kind of reach reached a point where it was diminishing returns. Um, it ended up being, like you were saying with your stuff, like, you know, I can sell all this stuff every month and you know and I and I lived off of that business for a while, but it was such a struggle to do it that it almost seemed like it would be better to just, you know, maybe put this on the shelf for a while. Um, but during that time, um, I kind of was introduced to comics from a friend of mine who kind of picked up, he picked up uh, painting when, when we met, and it was kind of fun to have a friend who painted as well. And um, so then he kind of, like, he had this interest in comics and uh, kind of, set out to like hey we should we should illustrate comic books I was like absolutely and uh, we both kind of went on Craigslist and found some authors that wanted to um, wanted to make books out of their out of their old scripts and um, I got in touch with this guy and he had this like 90 page script from the 90s or something that he he had made into a film already and he wanted to make it a comic book and I'm like this is great but you really got to cut this down a bit because 90 pages of script like that's a lot that's a lot of comic books that's an omnibus <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> so I got about 30 pages into that and um then I uh, met my friends uh, from fanboy comics who had a book that they wanted illustrated and I'm like you know what I think I'm gonna have to like put this first book on the shelf like this guy never cut down the script so uh, I'm just gonna abandon that and uh, we kind of cut ties there and I went on to illustrate this book called Identity Thief. Now that was a 12 page script and ended up being like a 70 page book Um, but yeah it was really that time where I really you know, I got introduced to sequential art through this friend, and uh, 
I, I didn't, I was never really into comics. Um, I, I liked Watchmen. I, I liked a few things out there, but the stuff that I ended up seeing through this friend, like he was into comics, but I was just like, meh, whatever. And then I saw Bill Sienkiewicz and mm -hmm. Dave McKean, and I saw Stray Toasters and Arkham Asylum. Mm -hmm. And those books just, it hit for me. I was just yeah. like, I'm a painter. Like, I'm not a comic fan. Like, I'm a painter. And I saw this stuff. I was just like, oh, my God, this is so inspiring. And it was, that was it for me. And uh, to, to be able to paint something panel by panel, and every panel that you do, that's a completed piece of artwork. And then to just move on and do a whole page of those and then a whole book. It's just the, the pacing of it I, I really enjoy. And... Uh, it really it taught me a lot, and I was really able to push my artwork and uh, learn a lot more because of that. But yeah, that was kind of the genesis of me getting into illustrating comic books. So I've never really claimed to be like a big, you know, big comic fan. I, I don't know a lot of the stories, and you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to read more of them. But honestly, for me, it's all about the art, and I'm crazy about the art. Yeah. Uh, Ashley Wood, Simon Beasley, any of those guys. Yeah, so. I have a question. So. A lot of artists are really self-doubting. I consider myself one of those people. Yeah. When did you realize that your 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 art was good enough to make it to um, you know to the format of comic books? Did you ever have that moment, or is this something that you struggle with? <laughs> I still with? don't think yeah? I've made it there. Um, no, it was for me. It was more like I like getting things done, um, and I I'm pretty good at like achieving things that I set out to do or accomplishing things that I set out to do so I know that if I can give myself a goal I can get there and I so I kind of need that fire under my ass mm -hmm. to do anything yeah. so yeah. Um, that was kind of part of why I, I wanted to reach out to um, to an author and kind of sign on to do a comic book because I felt like this is such a great way to improve my skills. Like I'm, I suck, and if I, if I'm, if I'm doing a, a, a page like of twelve panels or something, like I'm bound to get better by the end of that page. And if I'm like, if I owe this book to someone, like I'm forced to like paint every day and get better. So that collaboration is the impetus. That's the yeah. that's the influence. That's the thing that keeps you getting totally. up and, and getting up and putting brush to. Brush by the way, you don't suck. I saw, I saw, <laughs> I've seen the book and it's awesome. I don't think she was fishing. <laughs> but, yeah, but, I mean, well, I mean, it really you, worked out. Like, you, you guys have made quite a few sales off that book. A lot. Um, a lot more than I had expected. Honestly, like, um, I didn't really think about that going into it. I just wanted um, I wanted that fire to, to kind of push me to uh, finish, finish a project like that. Um, it was a big undertaking, and uh, I, I was really excited to do it. And... and being able to kind of experiment all along the way of like different styles and, and you know, I, I was airbrushing from my special effects work. So to mm -hmm. bring my airbrush into it, like mm -hmm. that was oh, a whole yeah. element, you know, yeah. and to really kind of experiment and play around and, and, you know, kind of come into my own while working on this project. Like instead of just kind of, oh, here's my sketchbook, I'm trying out new things. It was all going towards something. Yeah, it was actually so, being something that was going to be used. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then finishing it, I was like, yay, we finished a book. I'm like, oh, okay, we're, we'll publish it and we're going to print it and neat. And then suddenly we were putting it in stores and people were buying it. Oh, yeah. and so that's been kind of unexpected. Um, so have you and the author both been part of the kind of like sales pitch process as well of taking it out and showing it to people and yeah, 
I, I tried to do a bit of that. Um, the Fanboy Comics has been really great with like pushing the book sales, and uh, they've gone out to all these different um, all these different stores and kind of said, "Hey, we've got these books. We'd like to sell them in your store." And then there's my book. But mm-hmm. some of them, I, some of them, I've gone out and kind of gone after myself. Like Meltdown Comics, I, oh, yeah. I talked to somebody there. I was like, "Hey, can you maybe?" And Two days later, it's yeah. in there. So. Yeah, Meltdown's really good. I really like Meltdown a lot because they, they, they don't just sell your standard big big publisher books with a few indies. Yeah. They will really, I mean, if you, if, you know, they'll, it's good stuff and it's really good stuff. They'll, they'll put it in there and then. They, they're really cool. Yeah, they're, they're great about just like putting those indie comics right up front. Like, uh, Identity Thief was like right at the front desk there mm-hmm. for, uh, for a little while. So it was, it's really cool. I, I like them a lot. And all, all of the comic stores in, in LA have been really supportive of us. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's been really great to just kind of get my stuff out there. <laughs> You've done the convention circuit too, haven't you? Some here and yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, here and there. Um, I do Long Beach. Um, Fanboy does all of them. Fanboy's oh, yeah. amazing. They're they out have, at Comic Con and everywhere yep, else too. Yep, they're at every single comic convention. Right now, they're at Monster Palooza mm-hmm. selling the mm-hmm. book there. Um, I tried to make it out, but I just didn't have time. Um, but yeah, I try to I try to go to all the ones I can. But Long Beach uh, usually Monster Palooza, um, but Fanboys at all of them. So it's cool. really nice to have representation for that stuff. That, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your process when you get the story oh. in? You get the story. Um, how do you how do you break it down and actually, <clears throat> you know, so that you eventually start developing what the characters look like and all that stuff. Um, with Identity Thief. Um, uh, well, with my first one, too, yeah, it's kind of the same with both of the, both of the two that I've done, um, the unfinished one and then Identity Thief. Um, it, they both kind of came to me in a um, movie script format because both of them were supposed to be movie scripts, mm. and uh, Identity Thief was like a short form creep show style script, um, but it was still laid out like like a normal movie script, not like a, like a comic book. They weren't saying like panel one should show this mm. or blah blah blah. Um, so the people didn't have a lot of experience making comic books. Well, it wasn't that so much as like, hey, I have a script. You want to turn it into a comic book? Like, yeah, sure, let's do this. It was like, I, I, it wasn't as crafty as like, hey, we're gonna make some comic books. They were, <laughs> they were more fanboy was at the time. Um, they were more about film, and uh, so then they kind of took, they t- kind of turned this corner. And Bryant was, he'd already been doing. Bryant Dillon is the author. He's awesome. Mm. Um, so Bryant had already done um, a couple books before that, comic books. And so I think what was happening was his old scripts that he had that he never got a chance to turn into films, he now wanted to turn into comic books and bring other people on. So that's the format I got that in. Basically, Bryant had some descriptions of you know what the characters should look like, and I kind of... I, I it, it features a monster, so I did a lot of exploration into how I wanted that monster to look and kind of just drew that a bunch of times and obsessed over it till I had something that stuck and then uh, the other characters honestly like I, I just didn't I wasn't good enough to like draw from my mind so much um, so it was just me and uh, my boyfriend at the time and it was the, the two people that I had <laughs> constant access to so I'm really lucky that there were only two people in that book yeah. Um, but yeah just going through the book uh, you're going through the script page by page and just imagining it in my head and uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I just, I kind of paneled it out in a storyboard type of way and 
kind of designed each page and then attacked it that way. I didn't really have any direction as far as like what panels should have what and how many pages. And that's how it became like a 70 page book from 12 pages. It got a little crazy. When you and Bryant were working together on it, I mean, you just basically had his written material and it was just like, oh, you're off and running. Yeah. So you really like were the one who, you're the one who really just kind of did the whole visual aspect of the yeah. story. And, and I'm sure you were like consulting yeah, he, with him along the way. Yeah. Not so much. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really do much um, consultation about like how it should look. I think we, you know, we I showed him what the monster looked like, and he he just liked it. Like he yeah. just he was really cool to work with. He's like, oh, that's awesome. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, cool. And um, yeah, I think we just kind of had a, a lot of similar thoughts. Although the girl was supposed to be a redhead, and I made her brunette because whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like. He gave me the script, and I'm like, BRB comic book. So it was like a year and a half of, of painting on the couch with Red Bulls and uh, <laughs> coffee. Wow, that's, that's a long time, a year and a half. Well, I was working well, full time, too. Wow. So it was... The book is 70 pages. And it's, it's amazing. And it's, some of them are full panel, but there's lots of little miniature panels. and Yeah, and, and a lot of it, to be honest, um, I want to say the better part of the book was done in my car on lunch break. So I had like half-hour lunch breaks where I'd just try to like get whatever I could get done. So you were taking canvas and paint and stuff with you in the car and it sitting was like, in... Yeah, like I have, wow. I have my mobile awesome. set up. That's dedication. But <laughs> yeah. you know what? It's really great because I would like listen to talk radio and I had I didn't have like a smartphone. So it was just mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm in my car, shut off from the world for 30 minutes and I would just go. And that was... That, honestly, that's that's been the best way for me to work. I even do that now. Like before I was working in a print shop. So I got that half hour break at exactly the same time every mm -hmm. day. Um, at my job now where I'm working in advertising, like it's a little harder to take that break, but sometimes I'm just like, I'm out of pocket for an hour. Bye guys. <laughs> and I just kind of like run down to like a secret hiding spot and just focus. And, uh, so it's mostly that, um, and weekend work and, uh, yeah, just hammering away at it. But, um, the, the book I'm, I've got a couple of things going on right now. Um, the book I've been working on is kind of the same process, but I recently have partnered with another uh, author who his script is awesome. It's mm. it's gonna be like a 10, 12 page comic book, but he has he's a comic uh, he's a comic writer and like he he works in comics. So he's like laid it out. He knows exactly what he wants. He laid it out mm. panel by panel for me, and I'm like, woohoo! You know. So like, now you can just kind of like go with his vision. And yeah, and it's not it's not going to blow out of proportion or anything. Right. So is it is great. it going to be a similar type of kind of dark it's story? Dark. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's dark, a little supernatural. Yeah. Um, I haven't really announced it to anyone. Right. I mean, it could fall through entirely, but I'm hoping it doesn't. Um, we're both really geeked about it. So uh, you can announce yeah. it here. We can have the exclusive. The exclusive. <laughs> I've, got a, I've, I've maybe got a new book if, if I didn't just jinx it right now. Uh, but that's all I'll say about it because I don't want to like jinx it. But right. it, it just the only point is like it was so nice to even see like a comic uh, uh, script that was just like panel by panel. This is what I want to see. Like ah, cool. Like cool. now, how do I make those panels look good? It's quantifiable. <laughs> you can break it down to sessions and get it done. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, cool. that, yeah. And so it's like it's a lot easier to. Uh, to swallow at that point, but yeah, um, normally my normally it's just a storyboarding process though. 
So when you were doing like the mod back to back to identity thief, when you when you were doing the modeling and you you were using you and your boyfriend as models for the two main characters, were you using like mirrors? Were you doing photographs and then drawing off of that, or did you I, just have like sit down go together <laughs> and take a, just a shit ton of photographs and then, or did you just using mirrors and stuff like that? Or it was kind of as I went along, like for whatever I needed, I would just I, I took a camera and I would just take a snapshot, and it was it didn't have to be exact. Right. Like I I I can do a lot of it from my head but yeah I would um, as I came to a page like okay I need all these poses like hey can you can you pose like this for a minute and it was really just to get the gestures right and all of that um, and then a lot of it a, a lot of it was just me um, taking photos of myself <laughs> but then um, yeah and that would just be my reference material for the most part uh, the monster uh, there was no reference for that. Yeah. That was all in entirely my head. out of your head, except for the hands, which were my hands, but changed. How hard is it to uh, keep it consistent? Like have the same Very. color palettes, the same sizes of <laughs> the same shapes and everything. That's got to be hard. It's really tough. That I'm I'm dealing <clears throat> with that right now um, with my current book. I am the reference for all three main characters, which are all wait four four main male characters and um, an older woman. There's all these people in it, and I'm like, oh, this is this is really hard um, to make myself an old man or a boy. So um, that's very difficult, and it's very difficult to keep it Because you're I'm definitely like, not a man, <laughs> not, not a boy, no. so, you know. <laughs> so it's hard not to make them uh, all look a little weird. So I'm, I'm still working out that process, but... Uh, it's tough. It's tough to keep it consistent, especially when you get a lot of characters going at once. But I'm still learning. So, do you find that that you um, get more joy from the finished product, or are you really, really digging on the process? Um, I think my brand of anxiety feeds off of finishing things. So I kind of hate it while I'm doing it, but as I'm completing it, as I'm surprising myself and doing things that I like or learning things, that's what I enjoy. So the actual process, I obsess over it. And if I start, I'm, you know, and if I'm at home, it's like eight o'clock at night and I start, I'm done. I'm gone for like five to eight hours on that. Cause I, I, I will I'll focus on it and just be gone for a while but I really what I enjoy is getting to the end of it whether it's a panel or just getting a, a look just right like all those little the, the little accomplishments in there are what I enjoy but that's so that's enough to keep you going and keep you starting something new each time yeah yeah it's it's all that hope that's that's there when you start a panel like there's still hope that this one could be good so yeah, yeah it's, that's kind of what drives me. <laughs> so what what kind of other than out? So okay, so outside you're not much of a comic book fan, but outside um, you said you were always drawing things like that. Did you draw from other media in your to 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 inform your vision, uh, your eye, as it were? Um, before comics, yeah. um, I kind of I kind of just experimented with a bunch of different styles and. Yeah, I kind of just painted out of my head, and I didn't really know how to learn that stuff. I didn't know that you're supposed to like go out there and find other people's and art. See and see things, like, and then... Yeah, I had no idea. Start by... I, my whole thing has always been, start with what you like, <clears throat> copy it, then start modifying it, and eventually your yeah. voice, your image, your vision, your whatever. Because when I started doing photography, I was just with a little crappy, you know, Nikon point and click in... Uh, not that Nikons are crappy, but point and click, a little... <laughs> you know, four pixel 
point and click in somebody in a friend's bedroom and she's trying on different outfits and I'm just like click 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 taking a million pictures and grabbing the three or four that comes out and as I went along because I was I saw another friend's work and went I can do that <laughs> and why not it'll be fun and and I get to work with people and do this and that and then when I get into started going along I started bringing in all these artistic elements like light and shadow and set design and this and that and started really getting interested in that and then my own kind of eye and voice and all that came through to the point where it's like I can shoot less and less and less pictures and get more and more and more what I want out of it yeah I you know it's 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 a weird process like now that I that that was the thing that like excited me about uh, sequential art and comics is that suddenly I saw all this art that I really liked and wanted my art to be anywhere near someday, you know. And I was like, oh my god, I'm so inspired. But it doesn't mean necessarily that I wanted my stuff to look exactly like theirs. Like there were there's little things from everybody that I kind of pick up, and you know, like oh man, like his use of the airbrush or like these lines or he just like his his brush strokes or the colors here. That's kind of that's kind of what I pick up, and I try to just like figure out like these techniques that are being used, and then kind of bring it into my own stuff, and uh, <laughs> kind of bring it into my own stuff, and um, figure out like how to incorporate those those styles and those techniques. So I'm, I'm really just trying to learn. Like I've always said that like comics are my are my art college. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so it's it's a learning process. But I mean, there, is there other are there, were there like movies or films or anything other or like TV shows or anything like that that informs your artwork? Or I mean, Probably. what are, what are you kind of a fan of? What were you a fan of growing up? Or, or I've always been a horror fan. So you know, being in the effects industry, the haunted attraction industry, I've always been into horror, but also a lot of fantasy and um, you know, beautiful movies. Um, Stuff like that, uh, I, I think probably stuck in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I I tend to, yeah, I tend to kind of be drawn more to that stuff. I'm I, I don't I can't say if anything specific spe like really informed it, but I I bet it's all in there. Right, right. You know. Well, what do you what do you consume now? Um, comics. A lot of. Uh, art from comics but very specific I'm very picky and uh, I I'm just obsessed with uh, comic art now and uh, and in movies uh, definitely still um, you know horror and fantasy and just weird stuff like I have got to see the Congress that's mm, what I'm yeah like. yeah I saw your post on Facebook got to see I, that. I haven't seen anything about it yet that movie looks amazing the, the, the cross-media style that it has yep it's pretty cool that's, have you that's seen have you seen that movie uh, as above so below no I want to see that too have you, you will like it, it. I'm yeah. a huge horror film fan like you and uh, I went in skeptical because you know it's another found footage paranormal activity knockoff but the way it starts the best way to describe it without spoiling anything it's Indiana Jones meets The Exorcist underground. Underground in the in the catacombs yeah. of nice. Paris. I mean, they <laughs> shot. They had a. There was a Nerdist podcast with the two guys who wrote and directed that movie, and the two brothers, and they shot everything in Paris Talk. in the catacombs. Oh, they oh, got loser. permission from the French government. Almost didn't at the last minute. Had all these actors and a few camera crew people show up, and they were still at the very last minute trying to get everything, all the permits and stuff through the French government. And they actually, they said they actually kind of broke a couple rules too. Nice. Went a couple places they shouldn't have gone, and but they got this movie out of it. And and because uh, I mean, there's lots of stories. People will go to there's there's always stuff going on in the catacombs of Paris. There's there's a uh, and the cops are always trying to bust people because it's dangerous down there. Um, 
there's always movie nights happening where they'll take a projector and a screen set up and they have That's this awesome. underground movie. There's raves that happen down there underground. <laughs> but but people will wander, like a, a group of teenagers will wander down there, you know, drunk or high or whatever, and they'll wander down and never come back. And they'll just be, because it's it's hundreds of miles yeah. of passages and it's not mapped. That's it is terrifying. not charted. Beyond a certain point, there it's not charted. And Paris is an old city, and the, the catacombs go down and down and down and down, like layers. I mean, they were shooting down in six stories below the ground. Also because <clears throat> because Paris is basically on bedrock. Yeah. Uh, the, the, there are some bodies down there that, because there's no humidity in the air, they're preserved. So that, that's got to yeah. be frightening. You, you, imagine you stumbling into a body that looks like it died maybe like 10 years ago. Yeah, it ago. started off like as a really, yeah, I mean, I think it's even like Roman times as a catacombs and then they built on top of it again and again and again. And then they got to the plague times where more people were dying than there was room for in cemeteries. So they were taking whole cemeteries, all of the bodies out of cemeteries, <clears> put it, taking them down into the catacombs, putting a pile up and sticking a sign saying, this is the cemetery from this village, from this year to this year. Boom, and it's just a pile of bones. Wow. And, and because they needed more and more space to put plague plague victims in. That's crazy. So and and so the, the the catacombs are just vast, and it's one of my top 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 like three places to see in the world. Oh, I would man. love to see. Yeah, that. yeah. When I went to Paris, I didn't have enough time to check them out. Apparently, the main entrance that most people use is just right across from a tube st- from a metro stop. You get off the metro, you you go up the stairs, you walk across the street, and you're in the catacombs. You pay your 10, 10 francs or whatever it is, and then you go and you're there. Which I think I think we should talk about Halloween because it's coming up, oh, and I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of costumes. And it's it's interesting. We 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 uh, we're talking about the plague because I was thinking maybe I'll be a plague doctor. Ooh. Yeah, with the big mask yeah. and everything. Yeah, really cool. Well, Megan does amazing prosthetic <laughs> stuff, and and. <laughs> Um, and I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but I know you've had some problems with like people ripping off your shit. I did. Um, oh, wow. I, I had a really popular product um, that people loved, and it was really nice to be able to provide that. But um, I, like one of the biggest uh, stocking and lingerie manufacturers in the world, um, did a did a pretty brutal knockoff and uh because they're in fashion um it kind of falls under fashion law which is kind of the wild west as far as like Mm. litigation goes like you really can't do anything about it um so i was like okay like so that's now in like most halloween shops most it's it's basically the thing you created is everywhere yeah which is okay fine um i i I tried to uh, see what I could do about it. I had a patent pending, and you know, I did whatever I could, but it just got to the point where it's just like, yeah, I, you know, I. You I'm, do, what, uh, next time you could do the poor man's patent, where you uh, actually mail yourself the the patent. Oh. That's actually not dismissible. Well, at court, so that you could use that to sue. I them. mean, it, I have plenty of evidence of doing it before them, just because it was. People were buying it on but the internet. But because of the way yeah, the fashion yeah, industry works. Exactly. So there was a lot of like weirdness there. And uh, I didn't have, uh, I didn't really have the ability to do much about it at that time. So I had like five products ready to go. And I was just like, maybe I just don't put those out. And so I never did. And so now they're just on the shelf. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was really great being able to provide that stuff. And my customers were all immensely talented effects artists or just performers or haunted attraction uh, actors, just all these really talented people um, would just do amazing things with my prosthetics. So that was really rewarding. So. Boom. Boom. Yeah. Do you know the name? I, I always forget his name, but um, 
he still works today, and he was in, in the, one of the last episodes of The Strain, the guy with long white hair. He's famous for doing 80s horror prosthetics. Uh, he has, like, long white hair. He's got a, a goatee. And he did the uh, the howling transformation, the famous... Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm terrible with names. I, I can't remember his I'm, name either. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I'm like, bad when put under pressure, It's too. not it's Stan Winston. It's not that guy it's not that guy yeah, I don't remember who it is but I hate it when I forget somebody that. on the internet will correct us I'm sure or I will, <laughs> I'm sure I'll post about it tomorrow when I put this up so but when I was a little boy when I was a little boy what I wanted to do I wanted to make monsters that's I, every Halloween I used to have I used to get like a like a, a kit and I used to paint my face as like Frankenstein or yeah. the Wolfman or whatever and I was such a huge fan of horror prosthetics like I watched all those corny 80s horror movies like Puppet Master <clears throat> the Howling, um, uh, Wishmaster. I don't know if you remember oh, that. Oh yeah, I love Wishmaster. <laughs> and that was something I always wanted to do, but I, I never, I never found like a route in there. You know, it's fun. Um, I, I was a big fan of that stuff when, uh, growing up. I always watched behind-the-scenes special effects uh, TV shows, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, when I was eighteen, I got involved in the haunted attraction industry, and that's where I was like. There are so there's a, there's a place called Distortions that makes amazing props for the haunted attraction industry and and it's masks it's it's just props it's like you know it's bats it's witches whatever um, and I was like man like I, I love this stuff I want to I want to try to do this and I just kind of made myself a mask once sculpted it cast it and then from there like I just went crazy <laughs> just did so much stuff after that but yeah once you have all the supplies like silicone lying around. Tend to find ways to use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I, I was I was always a big consumer of things and a watcher of things and a listener of things. But a lot of times, I, I was always one of those people that I was always really good at remembering or, or talking about other people's things. But when it came to my own stuff, I was never happy with. It. I was never happy with my drawings. I was yeah. never happy with any of that stuff. So I, I never pursued those things. The only things that I ever felt that I did okay with was was acting and 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 being in drama productions at school and things like that or also um kind of making people laugh the whole laughter is morphine kind of thing and and um but i'm, I'm still kind of in this place now where i'm i'm trying to do creative things so i can light a fire under my own ass to kind of <laughs> pursue these other creative things yeah. that i want to do and I feel like I, I feel like I've wasted a lot of time not doing stuff. So well, I'm, I think you have to not be afraid to suck. You know, like oh, you're yeah. never gonna like your own work. I mean, you you don't really want to like your own work. You want to keep striving to be better. You want to just you know be okay with like I don't know, like getting to the end of a page or the end of a book. It's just like all right, that's the very best I could do at the time. It sucks. Next time it'll be better. You know, like, well, like, you just kind of have to get to that point where like, ah, do you, this is all right. Do you, do you allow like the, the accolades from others to kind of inform your work to continue or do you really just do it because it's for you? Um, I do it because I have to do it. Like, it's, I just, I don't know. I've, my brain won't let me not do things. Oh, that's so, good. That's good. Yeah, I had to take a. Um, I I took a bit of a break uh, last year. Had some stuff going on, and uh, I wasn't really able to focus on it. And I was. I found myself just feeling off for like eight months. Mm -hmm. I just felt off, and and it was due to a bunch of factors. But like the minute I got back into you know 
the book I was working on, it I, I suddenly felt normal. I felt okay, and I like just felt kind of happy again. And it's just it's weird. So I, I definitely think I need it. <laughs> For the first time in a long time, I sat down this weekend with a friend of mine who was also a photographer, and showed her the work that I used to do, and we went through like I've got this one directory full of like like not quite top cream of the crop but at least like the you know the best 30 percent of the stuff that I did kind of all in one big folder it's like probably seven or eight hundred photographs and she just went through and just started clicking through one by one by one and we would stop and talk about each one and that that feeling of having somebody talk about you look at your work and talk about it and um uh, start talking about technique and how I did this and how I did that and this looks a certain way but I actually did this and that really actually kind of I'm feeling that spark again so yeah. that's a good thing I mean it, it's a good feeling it does yeah it does feel nice like when when other people get something out of your work like it's yeah like with identity thief like a lot of people have bought it or they'll come up to me at conventions and be like hey I bought this last year I love it or it's just everybody always has such nice things to say and it's it's like it's embarrassing um, but it's <laughs> nice that like it's this weird feeling too it's like this thing it that was very intimate for me like this is this is a thing that I did while in my car on my lunch break. This is a thing that I did on on the couch, you know, uh, like for months, just isolated, you know. Mm -hmm. And now, like this person is telling me that they like it, you know, a year or two later, and I'm just like, whoa, you saw that? Oh God, wow, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people were watching you on your lunch break it's almost. Really, yeah, 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 it's yeah. really weird, yeah. and um, I I really appreciate it. It's um, you know, because for me, it's like a lesson learned, and it's behind me, and. You know, I, I, I did that book, like, that was that class of college, you know? Like, I right. learned that lesson, now I'm on to the next one. And it's like, oh, man, like, somebody else got benefit out of that. Somebody enjoyed it or somebody was inspired by it. Like, I know how much I appreciate the things that I've been inspired by it. So it's nice to have that effect on at least even just a few people, you know? Yeah, I, I came up to you at the Ventura Comic Con. I, don't, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> Kim, Kimberly show at, at, in Ventura, yeah. and I'm just like... I've been wanting to see you in person so I could buy a book from you and get you to sign it because I wanted to wait. And I wanted to, I also wanted to be one of those things where I didn't want to buy it online. I didn't want to buy it through any other thing where you weren't getting all of the money directly to you. And I wanted to make sure all of that went to well, you. Well, it goes, it, it, ultimately right now, um, it goes to everybody involved. We've got, um, we're basically still paying off our, um, because we didn't Kickstarter it, we did it ourselves, and um, we are paying off, and almost there, the uh, cost of that. So it's still like goes, it goes towards them, but it's it, it all eventually, it all is directly to me. It's going to my printing costs, and then I get a cut of the book. Um, you know, when we when we kind of hit that mark, which hopefully will be soon. And we've got we've got not too many more to sell before we're there but yeah so it's really nice and i really appreciate it I, you know and people people wait at conventions for for me to be there so they can have me sign it i'm like oh well i hope i hope this isn't just ruining the title of the page of the book and i hope that someday that uh that is worth something it's gonna be the best reward though you know as an artist you put something out there and you get people responding to it that's gonna be amazing and also i have the name of the special effects guy rick baker rick, oh, oh rick, rick baker yeah. oh i forgot he had long that. hair and ago he was one of my favorites he did he did um he did the hunger the, the David Bowie, yeah. all the David Bowie stuff, where oddly enough, there's one scene in, in there when he's really becoming old, and there's that moment where 
just before he kills Alice, the girl from across the street, where he turns and he looks, and he looks just like the well-dressed man, the actor who plays the well-dressed man on the X-Files. And oh, I, I know there's no connection. There's, he, he wasn't, in, he wasn't uh, it was all makeup. But you look at him and, oh my God, he looks just like that actor. It was crazy. There's something about practical effects I miss, and that's those moments. Yeah. You can't really get those moments Mm-mm. with CGI, man. I, I totally agree. Um, those quick the, reveals that are... Well that's, why I like, well, that's why I like what I keep hearing about the new Star Wars. There's going to be lots of practical that. stuff. And, you know, like, I, love, I, I love the original Star Wars in the 70s because you got all these... The cantina scene, just that... And you've got all these people in rubber just sitting there <laughs> acting, and it was just so great. Sweating balls. Sweating balls <laughs> in rubber. With, well, there's with, actually a guy with balls on his face in the cantina scene. Yeah. So you can actually true. see the sweat. That's, yeah, you can actually <laughs> see the sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, then they, they replaced a couple of those with CGI in the special edition. It was like a, wasn't as magical. It didn't Which look I got to say, I, I'm of the opinion of CGI is not what's wrong with the prequels. It's the actual directing. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. horrible. And, and the story itself, because Lucas surrounded himself with yes men. We yeah. know the story. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want to take no for an answer. And well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And hopefully, Thank God. hopefully Abrams will, will, will do, us, uh, do us justice. I'm an, I personally was really happy with the two Star Trek movies. A lot of people weren't, but I, like I was really happy. Do you with guys it. want to hear what's uh, being said? Yes. yes. It, it, sort of spoiler territory, so if you don't want to hear it, pause it or forward. <laughs> Hey, we like make no minutes. apologies for spoilers here. So, if you... but supposedly this person who actually wor- is working on the film, he uh, he spilled the plot like seven months ago on one of those like um, board like 4chan or something, one of those like sites. Reddit. Yeah, 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 Reddit. like Reddit. Yeah. It was Reddit actually. Oh, no. yeah. You probably heard it, but uh, <laughs> so basically the story is thirty years after episode six, uh, no one's no one's seen um, Luke Skywalker. They don't know where he is. No one knows where he is. Uh, Leia is. <clears throat> the leader of the of the trade federation, and Han Solo's like re- uh, retired. So and they're the, married and had kids. And yeah. So the main character is their their daughter, and uh, she embarks on, on a quest to find Luke Skywalker, Her who's uncle. actually being held uh, prisoner by this new order of Sith. And that's wow. the whole story. That sounds cool. I mean, if that happens, that's pretty cool. That's pretty rad. That's and then, pretty and rad. The, the, uh, it's a that's a little bit of the kind of like I don't know if uh, speaking of comics, Dark Empire. Dark Horse put out a series oh, called oh, Dark Empire. That's great. Yeah. And uh, that was that took place basically ten years after Jedi, and it's Han and Leia and their kid, uh, and and Luke is a now like a master Jedi, and they've been Leah and her kids are now Jedi too. And basically, what it turns out was in those books was the Emperor when the when the blue when Vader throws the Emperor over the side and the blue lightning comes out the blue flash that's his soul escaping mm-hmm. and finding its way through the mm-hmm. universe to this planet where he has a clone machine and he's basically uh, making clones of himself like so hatch. he comes back as a young mm-hmm. Emperor and then now there's these giant machines called um, planet eaters or something like that mm-hmm. basically it's just a giant city. That hovers above the ground on the oh. planet and sucks up all the natural resources. They're going to keep that in, in, in this new movie. If, if this rumor is true, the Sith have a planet, and the planet itself is going to destroy other planets and mm. stuff like that. Mm. It's, it's wow. insane. It's like a weapon. The planet yeah. is a yeah. weapon. And also, the character that Jan Boyega is going to be playing, the guy who um, he was in Attack of the Block. I don't know if you guys seen that movie. Mm-hmm. So he's supposed to play 
the uh, the second lead character is supposedly like a stormtrooper that becomes good. Oh, cool! Oh, That's because really? I would imagine once the Empire movie. fell, a lot of those guys became you know mercenaries or adventurers or whatever. That would be interesting. They to went see back that. to their their That'd day jobs of not shooting people. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which they shoot and they can never hit anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, what um, I, we said it before, and I was really really happy that the two main leads in this new Star Wars event movie. Or it's not going to be just white dudes. It's it's you know oh, there's yeah. a woman and a. And yeah, I was going to say it's a, like a female lead is really cool. Female yeah. lead and then the co lead is a black man, right? Yeah, yeah so that's it's great. Cool. That's great. He's so, Lando's kid, supposedly. Lando's kid. So I was going to say there there's only people. one black person in the whole universe. Yeah, and it's Lando. He's related to every <laughs> black person in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen? Do you watch Key and Peele? I was just going to yeah. mention that. It's Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> yes. Lando Calrissian is Charles oh Jefferson. He's everybody's great grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw he at um he was at Meltdown. He oh. told because he's from Detroit. I'm mm-hmm. from Clarkston, Detroit Metro. But he told a story that was the most Detroit story I have ever heard told because it was like. <laughs> Everybody who's lived there has had, like, at least one, like, kind of sketchy interaction that seems like it doesn't really happen in that way anywhere else. So, uh, he's, he is hilarious. What, what, do you remember the story? It was about him. (laughs) Uh, and I, I, I'm not gonna, like, retell his story because I'm not gonna do it justice, but basically he, um, you know, you always get asked for sketchy favors in Detroit, and finally one day he's, like, a college dude, and, uh, he's, like... I, you know what? Today, I'm going to do that favor. Like, I'm, you know, I always think that these people, you know, you always think bad things. But, like, you know what? Today, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do it. And what ends up happening is it's like this crack, this crackhead that takes him all over town robbing people of VCRs or trying to rob people of VCRs to pay for crack. <laughs> it's just the way he tells it, though. And um, the, 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 all the little details are so... So Detroit. <laughs> it's like the it, it's like the Detroit version of the end of Garden State, where there where Sarsgaard <laughs> is taking them around town to this pay this guy to pay this guy to pay this guy to get this piece it's of jewelry like back. It's like that weird like glad handing of like no no it's cool and like if you're not paying attention everything seems like maybe it's cool and then like there's crack and like oh that costs four VCRs. Did you see titties today? <laughs> Who here saw some titties? We <laughs> uh, got Method Man as a bellhop and they're all back watching. People people do it through a pinhole camera. <laughs> I'm going to go home and watch that some more today. <laughs> That's what I do. Like, while I'm working, I, I like, watch stuff like that. So, yeah. Key and Peele has been very good. I love Key and <laughs> Peele. Well, I, I have my, key, my Keegan-Michael Key story, too. We, we were having um, our nerd brunch. Um, a bunch of the people from... A bunch of friends who all go to uh, Gallifrey, the big Doctor Who convention. We get together once a month uh, to do it. Just so we can see each other, not just at the convention, because uh, we're all very busy and have different lives. So we get together, and we were there at the um, 4 and 20 in Van Nuys and one Sunday, and we're there, and then in comes this group of people, and they're dressed, they were at church, and they come in, and Keegan-Michael Key is with them, chatting away, and just having a nice little brunch with his little after-church brunch with people from his church group. Nice. And I just, I had to say, because at that time, we were really, really balls deep in, in Key and Peele, and watching it all the time, and watching the reruns over and over again, and, and loving it so much. And the episode that had just come out before that was the, two things in one episode, was the, the uh, um, 
the the Hogwarts school in East LA where they had like the metal detectors, <laughs> the magic detectors at the door, and then then you got the janitor talking about the kids who are so poor that they can't afford brooms, they're riding on Swiffers and that whole thing. And then the other sketch that was in that show was the racist zombies, where you see the zombie movie, and then uh, you know. Uh, the, the, the black, you know, it's Key, Key and Peel and another guy, and then the other guy gets killed and they're walking down the street and the zombies start avoiding them and crossing the street to avoid them. And they're like, what? And they walk up to the family of zombies in a car and they're rolling up their windows. And he's like, oh, hell no! And it's like, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, the, and then the, this other guy comes out and he's got, like, barbecue in his hands. So the black guy comes out and he's got barbecue in his hands. like, come on back, we're having a party. It won't touch us. Come on. And they go back and there's a full-on barbecue, you know, family barbecue happening. And then you, the last shot, you, you see a, zo- a white zombie trying to get up over the fence and crawl away from, from the party. So that was really good acting on the zombies part. Oh, yeah, yeah. That really good. good. You see that face? That's so hard to uh, yeah, yeah. make expression. <laughs> 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 uh, so what, you went up to him and you said something to him. Right? Yeah, I went up and I said, hi, I love your work. And we talked about those sketches. And he's like, are you watching the show? And I'm like, yeah. Says, watch the reruns. Watch it on Comedy Central. Keep watching it because we need the ratings. Don't watch it on the internet if you can, if you can help it. Watch it on Comedy Central because even if you're watching the reruns, that means we get to keep going. So, and his wife, he said, my wife wouldn't forgive me if I didn't say, watch the show, watch the show, tell people <laughs> to watch the show. And uh, so we keep we keep watching the show. So, new, new episodes are supposed to come out uh, November, I think, this year. Or? I really hope their movie with John Apatow goes goes Apatow Apatow yeah goes through because I want to see them star in something. I don't, I don't I want. I think they were working. So he yeah. was there that night too. John Apatow was there. <laughs> yeah, I was like second row watching these guys. Awesome, yeah. but yeah, I didn't know they were working together. That's, they are. That's yeah. Love me some meltdown. Those that's a great space. It's Have you been really watching cool. uh, Meltdown with Jonah and Camille? No, it's a, on that's... after at midnight on Wednesdays. Okay, it's Meltdown no. with Jonah and Camille. It's Jonah Ray and Camille that's Mangiani. Where I was at. Yeah. Right, oh, and okay. they film. They film yeah, and have people. Filming it. Yes, oh, it's for I the know. second. Apparently, the, oh, I don't know. Maybe we're spoiling something. Maybe they're yeah, filming for a second season a second of Meltdown. Season. Another yeah. exclusive. Another exclusive. <laughs> I just want to say real quick, since the Meltdown came up, I hadn't had a belly laugh since I was like probably fifteen. I saw like the episode from like a few weeks ago with. Stephen Brody Stevens and that guy just had me on the floor laughing. Brody Stevens. That's yeah. my recommendation this week. Stephen Brody Stevens, check him out. Yeah, Brody Stevens. Enjoy it. He um, he also does uh, opening for um, he's the opening comedian, warm up comedian for At Midnight as well. Yes. So Brody Stevens has a lot of ties in with Hardwick and all that. that. And then okay. there, and he's, ge- he's genius, man. He's amazing. Eight one eight forever. Yeah, <laughs> so great. Um, yeah, the episode. Danny and I were going to those meltdown shows a lot um, early on, and we went to a lot of the Wednesday shows. And then our jobs changed to so where we can't really go out at night. It's so much different it's now. So, oh they have yeah. no, they just got chairs. They got real real nice. chairs cushy instead of chairs. Real, instead of instead of folding chairs. Yep, yep yeah, cushy, yeah. Nice. yeah. They got some money coming in now, yeah. but they converted one of the whole back rooms across the hall into a green room. So they have the little room, the little room off of the side of the stage yeah. where everybody goes in from and exits from where the sound booth is and stuff. But then they have another room that's across the hall because nice. they bought the next space over yeah. from Meltdown Comics. They bought the next the next whole uh, um, uh, business space and converted that into a gallery and they have an art gallery there now. And then there's a green room for for Meltdown. Nice. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a great show. And I, <clears throat> the thing that I really like about Meltdown with Jonah Kamal is. That it's not just stand-up, not just people standing in front of micro. You see behind the stage, you see backstage stuff. They're having conversations while other people are on. I swear to God, I've seen Chris Hardwick in every episode, and he he's only only performed once. No, he, like, he performed at this one. So coming up, oh, hey. I, I can plug 
plug them. Whatever, awesome. whatever this new season is. Uh, Chris Hardwick did a, did a thing. Judd Apatow. Uh, Hey, if anyone from the Meltdown's listening to this, please give us like sponsor money. Oh, come on. <laughs> Something like Winnie right. Tech. <laughs> but there's, that was a really cool show. I, I didn't joking. really quite know what was going on. And, uh, yeah, they do a lot of performance pieces too. Show, so. Like Ron Funches and some of the other guys. There was the one guy who was, who was playing the Sheriff uh, of Nottingham, the sharing of yeah. Nottingham and bringing, like, he brought a lady on stage from the audience <laughs> and he was just like. And just all this weird stuff. It's not just stand-up. It's really kind of experimental. Mike, maybe you can speak to that. How hard is it to have, you know, to do the stuff that that guy, the sheriff from Nottingham, he was, like, giving someone, like, an imaginary blowjob? That's got to be nerve-wracking. He's just doing a character piece. I mean, he really is just doing, like, a character performance piece. And, I mean, I've done stuff like that, not not improvisationally like that before, but, I mean, I've done comedy theater. Um, There, the I was in several productions, um, annual productions, of uh, they kind of did the the Santa Clarita Master Crowd. My ex-wife is in that, and um, they did a benefit for that every year. And they would have like a Shakespeare night where they had like a big, you know, however per dollar per plate dinner, and all the money goes toward the corral. And um, so they would have like a like a play night, like a Shakespeare night, and then the the corral would do like medieval pieces and stuff like that. And they had. Um, and then we would do like a play that, that was like somewhat Shakespeare based. The last play we did was, uh, was, um, oh, what's the name of the group? There's a group that does Shakespeare kind of twisted on its ear where they combine a bunch of plays together and then kind of do it weird, but fractured Shakespeare or something like that. And then we, we took it and pared it down and, and my ex-wife actually directed the show and um, I was several characters in it because we're all playing different characters from different plays. So that was really fun. The year before that, we took another kind of Shakespeare-esque comedy, shortened, shortened comedy. They're usually like 30, 45-minute plays that we then pare down a little bit so it fits within the context of a dinner evening kind of thing. Nice. And that was a lot of fun. I haven't done... I really like doing acting a lot and stuff, but with the way with my schedule, I've got a 9-to-5 job too, so... And I have a lot of commute time that's way out away from anywhere, any of those places to where I can get to there, like, after work or whatever, so. Yeah, it's tough, especially in L.A. Yeah, yeah, it's really tough to get around, you have to do that stuff. But I've been wanting to go, Danny and I tried to go to see a screening of At Midnight on Tuesday, and it was Paul F. Tompkins, um, uh, Greg Proops, Proops and uh, John Hodgman. But there were so many people on on the premiere list that we, they didn't, the regular line couldn't get in. And so they gave us passes to go back whenever we want, and we would guarantee to get in. That was one so, of the best episodes. Ever. It was a good episode. They, they, they filmed it on two, two episodes on, not to give any industry secrets away, mm-hmm. but they filmed two episodes on Tuesday, one in the afternoon and one in the evening, and then those episodes were the Wednesday and Thursday from last week. And that 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 Greg that episode with the three of them was really really because they're really creative like uh, on the fly type people they're really creative really intelligent so well you've got Greg Proops <clears throat> who dresses like it's ni- he dresses like he's in the 1950s always wearing a suit I like and then how, you've got I like Paul how. F Tompkins who's always <laughs> dressing like an even earlier time yeah. period with that I mean he all but wears spats on his shoes but he was wearing a cravat what was it you that got, uh, Hardwick said Hodgman. what Hardwick said I feel like I'm in like a Hogwarts committee or something oh no he said I'm a, a big old, <laughs> I feel like I'm at a, at a Hogwarts disciplinary committee yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah, got Hodgman, and Hodgman's kind of gone this really kind of strange with the mustache and the beard, and he's kind of gone into this whole kind of persona now too. So it's pretty good. Um, it's kind of I don't know. It's like it's like kind of like anti hipster kind of thing almost. It's like like a real retro type thing. And then Paul F. Tompkins also does the uh, the Dead Authors podcast yeah. that benefits. Um, 
what is it, 802 LA, which is the, the literacy okay. foundation, and he um, he basically plays uh, Jules Verne, and he has but the premise of it is they do it at UCB, and the premise of it is is that Jules Verne's gone back in time, grabbed somebody out of uh, time and a dead author brought them to the present <laughs> to interview them and it's hilarious and it's That's usually great. she's like Matt Gorley or one of the guys from Super Ego <laughs> and then uh, or all his other you know comedian friends and they do these bits and it's really good he's, he's been fun. he's been he's uh, also uh, been in, the, in Comedy Bang Bang I don't know if you've yeah yeah oh yeah Paul Tompkins Comedy, Comedy Bang he played the uh, the cake boss which was hilarious yeah and they also um <laughs> uh, Paul F. Tompkins joined Super Ego. Now they're doing, they just started a series of season four of Super Ego, and they had their first episode out two weeks ago. And Paul F. Tompkins is now a permanent member of Super Ego. Nice. So, that um, back when I was working at the print shop, it was like eight hours of silence and, you know, mousing around on Photoshop. Um, so I, I listened to a ton of podcasts, and I just couldn't get enough of them. Like, I would run out by the end of the day. I'd be like, damn it. And now, like, yeah, that was like two, three years ago now. And now there's seeing all those people do all these other podcasts and all these other shows. I'm, I wish that I could listen to podcasts at work now. Like, I, I've tried and I just, I can't, I can't yeah. do it. Yeah, I have, I, such great I listen in the them. car because I have to concentrate on what they're saying and I can concentrate enough on that and driving. But yeah. trying to work where I have to click on things or type things yeah. or or read things, mm-hmm. I can't listen. To I have to like come up with time. ideas for work. So there's right. no way I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna be able to yeah. do that. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, I have to listen to music at work. Yep. So. <laughs> so Sometimes I, I can't even listen to music because I like paying attention to music. Yeah. And uh, the job requires so much of my attention that I yeah, I won't. I won't listen to new albums at work. I, I'll have to. I have to listen to stuff yeah, I've heard I'll a million times. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Background music, like or I'll, I will tempo. listen to a new album, but I listen to it through like five and six times, just trying to make sure I catch it each time. Yeah. Like I listened to the new U two last week, which how, how did you oh, feel you like about it? it? I haven't heard it yet. It's 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 good. It's a little poppier than they than they've done before. It sounds a lot like the Killers. It has that I think big I heard some kind of this morning that must have been it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I said that. No, yeah, and it, it sounds a lot like the Killers. It has that big kind of big sound that the killers were doing in the like second third album but then there's the occasional like jangly the edge riff mm-hmm. in there what's the name of the album? innocence something yeah in a uh, songs of innocence songs of innocence like i think uh yeah youtube's going for and they've been trying to do this for like uh the last decade they've gone they've gone for the the, the celebration sound of, like, yeah 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 and they're also like the uh the, almost the, anthemic but not yeah. quite they're not like an anthem band like muse yeah. or like Killer's first album was a lot like that, and then Killer's moved much more into a popular thing. That first album, like all these things that I've done, Do that's like. Do you know like how, a, how the Killer's started? Do huh? You, you guys tell, know tell. the origin story? Okay, so you know Joy Division started so many things, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Then past that, now you have New Order, and they're amazing, right? And then they came back in like 2001 with this incredible album, one of my favorite albums of all time, Crystal. Yeah. And, uh, or yeah. Get Ready. Get Ready. So Get Ready had Crystal, Crystal on, on it. it. Yeah. That song is amazing. Oh, yeah. So I used to like record music videos on my VHS, uh, you know. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah. So I've got all 120 those. minutes or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. With uh, Matt Pinfield? Yeah. <laughs> I like right? I was like MTV Kennedy MTV2 yeah. and, and much music and uh, yeah. VH1 too also mm-hmm. they still play 120 minutes now you can still go back and what the hell yeah, happened yeah. to MTV man? Yeah. so I I was like obsessed I've always been obsessed with music videos and so I, I yeah that that's usually what I watch when I'm working on stuff but um, 
So one of those videos was Crystal from New Order, this incredible music video, and this, the style was something that I've, I'd never seen before. And all it was, it was New Order's song, but it was this young band in the, in the, in the uh, music video, and it was like all these lights going on behind them, and it was just this young band performing, and they had this style that you hadn't seen then, but you've seen a lot now in The Killers, and the name of the band in that music video was The Killers. Now, it oh. wasn't The Killers, but basically what happened was that song, that style, that because that music style was totally unique, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, basically, The Killers, Brendan Flowers said that that was the music video that, that inspired... That their band, band. isn't the that insane? Band. That is How pretty insane. Is well, and their cover of, of Shadow Play is amazing. It's and, so good. And they did they did Crystal <clears throat> at um, at some show. Like Brendan Flowers came on and sang that song. It was crazy. You know, I've always yeah, wondered yeah, about that. So you know, cool. when you look at people like Jack White that have such a unique pathos and style to them, is that manufactured? It has to be to some degree. I mean, everybody's inspired by something, but it's, yeah. it is interesting to see, like, uh, there's there was a show in England where, I, for, I forget who was playing, I think it was a Sex Pistols show, you can look it up online, I, I forget the name of the uh, of the venue, but it was like in, I don't remember, I don't have all the details because I have a terrible memory, but basically everybody who was there, like, went off, and all of these bands, including Joy Division, started from that started single bands, show. Started bands, right, oh, wow. right, yeah, right, right, right. So, yeah, so, so even that's interesting. So it starts with a Sex Pistols show that's like, inspires Joy Division to start, and then they, they do New Order, and then New Order does this music video, and the Killers are inspired by that, and then you get this whole new thing in 2003, 2004, of like, yeah. all of these bands Yeah, like the new that. wave revival people, stuff. People said the same thing about the Ramones, that... So many bands started off from people going to watch the Ramones perform. Mm -hmm. yeah. So many bands branched off of that. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, and that's why, like, I never, like, I always hated the Ramones music. But man, like, you cannot deny the oh, yeah. influence. Their magnetism on, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just, just the fact that, you know, my personal taste, I don't want to listen to it. But it's amazing, like everything that came from that or the sex pistols and it's just like wow yeah there's still a little bit of a debate i mean i'm sure it's 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 the chronology is exacted somewhere but there's still a lot of debate about whether it was because the ramones went to england and it was it the was it the england was it was it the ramones that influenced well, the sex pistols or the sex mm -hmm. pistols that to me it all started with the stooges that's that's yeah. that's oh, the first yeah. punk band in my mm -hmm. opinion yeah, the Stooges, Just, yeah. and all that came from Bowie, and all you know, because mm -hmm. that's because yeah. Bowie's God. We know this, and um, <laughs> Iggy Pop was like Dark David Bowie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a lot yeah. Of ways, it's yeah. One of, weird. You can trace it all the way back. You know? Yeah, one of Bowie's children. That, that that's what I a friend <laughs> of, I refer to uh, Bauhaus. I've always loved Bauhaus, and I always considered them to be like Bowie's children because <laughs> you know you watch them and you see them, and it's just like. It's that natural progression. They, you know, glam rock was in the early '70s, but then by the late '70s, post punk kind of took over a lot of stuff, and then you see these bands that turned into what we call goth now, and it's just like, yeah, and mm -hmm. it's just. I, I always, I grew up, and I always liked the, uh, the outsiders' music. Like, um, I remember I was a huge fan of like uh, Bjork, mm. which no one sounds like her. No one. Yeah. And she's unique. She's I unique. discovered other stuff like Blixa Bargeld and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Stuff that's just weird. Yeah. I love Blixa. Weird industrial. And I like Reinsorts and the Neubotten. And of course, yeah. he did work all that work with the Nick, Nick Cave, Cave and the Bad yeah. Seeds. And yeah, Blixa is amazing. I have a, I have a friend uh, acquaintance who has two dogs. One's named Blixa and the other one's named Bargeld. That's so cool. <laughs> um, that's great. So, 
Well, we're uh, we're about in an hour. Um, let, Megan, uh, plug your stuff. Do you have where can we find you online and and find your work and and that sort of thing? I um, I am on Facebook. I don't have <laughs> my my clever names have gone to other people's stuff. So mine is uh, just Art of Megan O'Keefe for right now. Um, you can find me on Facebook there. Um, I also have been trying to keep my blog updated with my work, and there's a lot of works in progress there and stuff. And that's. Uh, you can just go to meganokeep.com and that just takes you to my little blog. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Um, are you on Twitter at all or anything um, like that? I'm on Twitter under Open Wound Effects. That was my effects business. Um, more so, I post works in progress to my Instagram, which is a Bullshit Decorator. So, <laughs> okay. it's a, you can either find me under Megan O'Keefe or Bullshit Decorator pretty much for everything. Cool. But, is there uh, anything out there that's uh, out in media of any kind out there right now that you recommend people check out? Um, oh my god. Uh, I'm a big fan of The Killing, and you should watch The Killing. It's oh, a great show. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, um, yeah, you guys should keep an eye out for... Uh, I, I When I was at Comic-Con, I saw Clive Barker's Books of Blood, the mm. new... Um, the new a digital comic version of that put out by Madefire. Madefire is super cool. Uh, they have a really cool app for, um, there's just a lot of, uh, it's really cool tech. But um, anyway, so the Clive Barker's Books of Blood um, is uh, illustrated actually by my friend Sam Sheeran and uh, he he's done some crazy work. But that it's, Madefire is really awesome. Uh, that The Books of Blood, just to see that as Clive originally intended is really cool. So cool. I highly recommend that. Thanks. Cool. Uh, Ash, recommendations? Uh, well, I recommend everyone watch Doctor Who. It's pretty awesome. I got to get into it. I second, third, fourth, and fifth. I twelfth that. Wearing a Doctor Who shirt yes, right now. Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, the new the, the series eight. I, I completely can't agree with you more. It's it was the perfect place to you to, to launch off with watching Doctor Who. Doctor series Who series eight has been phenomenal. Capaldi is exactly what we've needed for a very very long time. Don't want to take anything away from Smith or Tennant or any of those guys, but but Capaldi embodies so much of what Doctor Who has always been about. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I recommend that too. Um, I thought I had another recommendation and I'm not remembering it. But anyway, so uh, that's it for this week. We'll see you next week, and please be kind. The Something Something Experience podcast was conceived and produced by Ash Jones and Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, were written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Ciceri. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com. Something2xp is now available on iTunes, and you can find us online at WordPress, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube as Something2xp. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.